Hello and welcome to Notes from the Way. My name is Richard. This is the podcast where we get together every week and talk about uh, what it means to live as a Christian here in the 21st century in America. Generally what we do here is we have a news story that we talk about for a few minutes that has something to do with our lives as believers, how we interact with the culture, something like that. And then we have a short time where we just look at the Word and see what God has to say to us. So I hope you enjoy. If you'd like to get in contact with me, I always enjoy hearing what you have to say. The way that you can get in contact, actually there's two ways. First is through our blog, which is notesfromtheway.blogspot.com. And the second is through email, which is nftw, that's short for Notes from the Way, at sbcglobal.net. So again, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to let me know. And now we will jump into the news. Okay, well, I pulled a news story off of the ChristianPost.com from September 7th, and the title is Osteen Arms Thousands with Hope, Not Doctrine. Just want to clarify here, I'm not going to talk a lot about Joel Osteen. I recognize a lot of people like him, a lot of people don't like him. Frankly, I don't know enough about him to really uh, be able to give an opinion, so I'm not going to talk about him directly, but I'm going to use this story as a jumping off point, just so we're clear. Let me give you some of the highlights from the story. A quote here from Osteen Osteen that says, God has the power to meet your needs, Joel Osteen told some 19,000 people Friday night. He not only has the power, he has the desire to meet your needs. He wants you to live this abundant life. Osteen, whose podcast messages consistently rank in the top 10 on iTunes, keeps politics out of his church. He doesn't preach on political issues. He also doesn't teach theological doctrine or try to explain every detail in the Bible. That's not his calling, he says, and that has drawn critics. Some pastors and theologians have criticized Osteen's failure to talk about sin, suffering, and the message of the cross, but the Lakewood megachurch pastor stresses, I'm called to plant a seed of hope in people's hearts, as he wrote in his latest book, Become a Better You. This brings up to me an issue that's going on in the church where I see there's a real division, and I think it's been going on for a number of years, really, a real division between people who are, uh, I'm going to say their faith is based in emotions, and hope is an emotion. When it talks about Osteen arming people with hope, hope is really an emotion, it's an expectancy that something good is going to happen. As opposed to people who use a lot of emotion, we have another group in the church that uses the doctrine as kind of the basis of their, of their faith. And often we have people in the charismatic movement, more emergent or postmodern elements of the church that it tend to lean towards emotion. They're a little suspicious of doctrine because they say doctrine divides, which it does in many cases. They look more to feelings or the presence of God in their lives. They're more interested in you know community feelings and for, in hope, as we said before. On the other side, we have doctrine of right teaching. You know, they have teachers that are. Uh, very uh, concerned with making sure that you know what the Bible says and how doctrines are put together, they're a little suspicious of feelings. I've heard uh, many times, especially when I was growing up, uh, feelings are fa fallible, feelings are fickle, they change, and you can't trust your feelings because they'll lead you astray. Really, both of those are wrong. If you trust too much in emotions or feelings, that's going to lead you astray. If you don't have doctrine, it's going to disappoint you. 
Uh, there's no root. You can be easily manipulated. You can be easily misled. Think of some of the things that happened in uh, Florida with this recent uh, revival, healing revival that was taking place. A lot of people were misled. A lot of people were uh, manipulated into giving, were manipulated into thinking that God was going to do something in their lives that he didn't do. But if you're all doctrine, then that tends, from what I've seen, to lead to Christians who are really puffed up, as the Bible says, really built up with their own uh, knowledge, thinking that they know everything. And it can be dry, it can be divisive, because I know there's a lot of people who divide over er any point of doctrine. If you don't agree with me on every point of doctrine, well, then there's something suspicious about you. Really what's wrong here is the fact that if you leave out either one, if you leave out emotion, if you're suspicious of that, or if you leave out doctrine, if you're suspicious of doctrine, either one, you're really missing out on the full Christian life. And we need to find a place that's in the middle. That's really what First Peter 3.15 is talking about, where it says we need to be ready to give to every man an answer, which is doctrine. You know, what do we believe? What, is our, what does the church teach? What, is, what do Christians believe? But you're giving to every man an answer for the hope that lies within you. That's emotion. So what happens is people see our lives, they see there's something different, and they want to know, why do you have that hope that I don't have? It's the same thing that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 5, where he said people should see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. So the answer is doctrine. The hope that we have is emotion or feeling. So what we learned here is doctrine's not enough. If you're in that camp and you think people like Joel Osteen or whether it was uh, you know, Todd Bentley or whether it was any of these people who don't really teach doctrine, I'm not equating the two of them in a moral standpoint. I'm talking about from an emotion or uh, doctrinal standpoint. If you're on that side and said those people are suspect, then maybe you need to learn a little bit more about that hope, about that feeling, about the emotion that comes along with being a Christian. But doctrine's not enough. Feeling is not enough. Really what we ha have to see is doctrine being lived out. And sometimes that's the problem that we have in the Christian life is that we have the right teachings, but we don't see them lived out in our lives, in the lives of the church. And it's interesting that at the end of 1 Peter 3.15, 3, it says that we're supposed to give an answer for the hope that lies within us in all gentleness and respect. So what we want to see happen is people look at our lives they want to see why it is that we live the way we do. And we're able to give them an answer that's not based on us, but it's based on Jesus. Why do we believe what we believe? And how is that changing us into different people? And when we do that, that's when we've combined, I believe, hope and doctrine. Because they're not two opposites that can never come together. They really should be living inside of each one of us who believe in Christ. Now, let's turn to a quick word from the scriptures. Okay, now this is from Matthew chapter 4. I've been reading through Matthew recently, and I just wanted to read this one verse. It's at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. And it says, from this time on, Jesus began to preach. This is verse 17, by the way. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And I just wanted us to look for a second at that little phrase, kingdom of heaven, because it has so much meaning. But I'm afraid we don't really think about what it means in our lives on a day-to-day -day basis, because the uh, some of the older church fathers had a 
expression for the kingdom. They said it was already, but it was not yet. In other words, there's a present reality to the kingdom, and there's a future fulfillment to the kingdom. I want us to think about what that present reality means for us, at least a couple of the things that it means, because it seems to me that too many of us don't live as though the kingdom is a reality. We live lives that are hopeless. We live as we live as though God is not involved in our lives. He doesn't make any difference in us. We have so much real life, as we call it, going on that God is not really involved with. Or we spend so much time trying to earn God's approval, trying to get something from him as though he's unwilling to give us something. Jesus calls, when he calls people to repent, sometimes he calls Christians to repent of those kinds of mindsets because neither one of those are true. And if we're really living as though God was inside of us, as though the kingdom was inside of us, as uh, Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, then it changes the way we look at things and it will change, I believe, the way we live. So Jesus is calling us to turn away from that thinking, from the mindset that says either that you know, life is hopeless and God's not really involved, or that we have to earn something. We have to do something to gain God's approval. What is the kingdom? Well, I think foremost, and this is what a lot of uh, you know, teachers who are much better than I am would believe, the kingdom is really the rule of God, and it begins really in the people of God now. Of course, when Christ comes again, then it will be spread all throughout the world, really throughout the universe. But right now it's in God's people, wherever his influence, wherever his reign is, is where the kingdom is. What does it mean for us? Well, it means that there's a different reality for us than what you might see, what we might even feel, that what's real is actually different. First of all, if the kingdom is here and the kingdom is inside of us, that means the king is here and the king is inside of us. It means he's not far away. He's not off watching from afar, like a deist might say or someone, someone of that sort. He is here and he is king and he's in control as kings are real kings are in control of situations we might not see his work we might not hear him or see him moving but we can be assured that he is working in all those situations even those situations that we think are hopeless even those situations that we think can't be fixed he is working something good and it also means that if he's the king which he is if God is the king and we're the children of God, then we are the children of the king. And that king is completely crazy about us. He loves us. He couldn't love us any more than he already loves us right now. And this whole idea that we have to earn God's approval, or we have to do something, we have to juggle something, or do some kind of tricks to make God love us more, to make him give us stuff, it doesn't work that way. That's not the way God works. Uh, there's a verse in the Bible that says that it's God's good pleasure to give us the kingdom and some of the translations puts that in past tense that it has been God's pleasure to give us the kingdom as so though we've already got all that we have all that we need and we just have to, to find our riches and our resources in Christ I'm not talking about being uh, materially secure financially secure I'm talking about having every blessing that God wants to pour out his blessings on us we don't have to cajole him or convince him I remember hearing a song, in fact, it's a pretty popular song right now, where one of the verses, uh, or one of the choruses, I believe, I, the chorus, I think, uh, talks about remember, talk, telling, to God, telling God to remember your promise, remember your children, you know, remember your people. As they were trying to convince God that he needs to remember his promises to us, God doesn't need convincing. He's already on our side. 
He's already on our side. And we don't have to worry about any of those things because he loves us and because he's the king. He's going to take care of those things, even those things that we don't know how in the world he could possibly take care of them. He's going to do it. So what does living in the kingdom mean? It means that the king is here, he's in us, and he's in control. And he's completely on our side. We don't have to convince him. We don't have to prove our worth. We don't have to prove that God really loves us. We don't have to make him prove it to us. He does. It's a reality. Now later on, maybe next week, we'll talk about what it means to know that God is in us and that God is completely on our side and that he's for us. But right now, I just want you to think about that, that if you're trying to convince God or you're reaching out to make God come closer to you, he's already in you. You're his child and he loves you. And that's really what matters. And that's really what's real, even if our feelings don't match up to that. So I hope that blesses you. And I know it does me. Okay, and that's all we have time for today. I hope you've enjoyed this. I hope it's been encouraging, motivating, inspiring in some way to you. If you have any questions or comments, be sure and get a hold of me. I love to hear from you. Either at the blog, which is notesfromtheway.blogspot.com or via email at nftw at sbcglobal.net. Until next week, God bless. <laughs>